So turning your Bibles or mobile devices to Colossians chapter 3 as we continue our summer series studying the one another's of the New Testament. It's a pronoun that is used over a hundred times. We kicked off the series with uh, a study of love one another. That's the foundation. That's the bedrock of all the one another's. And it's the springboard of all the other one another's. All the other one another's are simply a description of what it means to love one another. And then the next one another we looked at had to do with encouraging one another. This morning, we're going to consider what it means to address one another. We just sang that song. Did you think about the words? May I never lose the wonder, the wonder of your mercy. So let me ask you, how do you never lose the wonder, the wonder of his mercy? The answer is in the text. We're to address one another with the wonder of his mercy. And that's how the Spirit works, that we might never lose that wonder. So the question is asked, what does it mean to address one another? How are Christians, how are followers of Christ to address one another? You know, if you've ever considered uh, sort of visits of heads of state, or you've traveled to another country, you've ever met anybody of importance, how to address somebody can get pretty complicated. If you follow the news this week, uh, the Prime Minister of India uh, visited Washington. There was a state dinner, and you could create a serious social misstep if you fail to honor him as, or address him as the most honorable prime minister. If you're in England and you happen to bump into King Charles, you're to address him as His Majesty or His Highness. If someone has been knighted by the king or queen, you're to address them as Sir. There's a similar award of chivalry for women, and you're to address them as Dame. If you meet high-ranking clergy or a leader of some church, you're to address them as your eminence or your excellency. If you meet clergy who's got an advanced degree, you're supposed to say reverend and then the degree. So, Reverend Dr. Robert Flayhart, except for when it comes to me, because I'm Bob. Okay, I'm always Bob, always will be Bob, none of that addressing stuff like that. See, I'm actually easy to address. And when it comes to how to address one another as believers, it couldn't be more clear and it couldn't be more easy. It's laid out for us in Scripture. 
It's laid out for us in Colossians 3, verse 16. But to set the context, we're going to read the entire passage, because I'm going to refer to the entire passage when we get to the main uh, message. So let's all stand out of reverence for God's Word. And again, we, we do this every week, but ask God to give your heart the same kind of reverence that your posture is showing right now? This is God's Word. Hear it. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through Him. May God bless the hearing and teaching of His inspired, infallible, inerrant, and authoritative Word. This is God's Word. He gives it to us because He loves us. He wants us to learn how to address one another, speak to one another, so that we might be made complete and mature in Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Remind us even now that it is living, active, supernatural, sharper than any two-edged sword. God, bring us fresh life through this scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and take a seat. So, were you able to catch how Paul reveals that God desires for us to address one another. I'm going to read Colossians 3.16 again because that's the key verse, but 
I also want to put up the parallel verse, which is Ephesians 5. Colossians 3.16 and Ephesians 5.18 are talking about the exact same thing, although unless you see them side by side, you may not recognize it. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. <clears throat> Ephesians 5.18 starts a little bit differently. Be filled with the Spirit. You're saying, Bob, how can they be the same thing? Well, first of all, you need to know what letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly means. It doesn't mean know your Bible better. Obviously, Bible knowledge is good. But that is not what let the word of Christ dwell in you richly means. The word of Christ is talking about the message about Christ. In other words, the gospel of God's grace. So a paraphrase that would actually make it more clear would be let the message of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ dwell in you richly. And Paul says that's the same as how you're filled with the Spirit. At Oak Mountain, when it comes to letting the gospel of grace dwell in us richly, we've come up with a paradigm that we call the three-step. It's called the waltz. Just like a waltz has a three-step beat, so does the Christian waltz. And the three-step is repent, believe, fight. Repent, believe, fight. The way the gospel works in our lives, the way we're filled with the Spirit is as we are continually repenting of sin as we become aware of it. And then we believe the gospel by trusting afresh in God's unconditional love. And then we believe the gospel by trusting afresh in the supernatural transforming power of the cross or the supernatural transforming power of the Holy Spirit. And then the fight step of the waltz means that we fight to put to death the flesh, sin within us, and we fight to put on the new self. We fight for new obedience. So you'll notice that letting the Word of Christ dwell within you, letting the gospel dwell deeply within you, waltzing, is the same way we're filled with the Spirit, by waltzing. Now, when the gospel dwells in us richly, and when we're filled with the Spirit, there will be a horizontal relational consequence. What is it? Teaching and admonishing one another, Paul says in Colossians 3, but in Ephesians 5, speaking to one another. So, in other words, Paul in Colossians 3, 16 and 17 is clarifying what he means in Ephesians 5. Speaking to one another is lived out by teaching and admonishing one another. And we're going to understand what that means in a few moments. And then how does that manifest itself? How do we do that? Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. See, this is why we know he's talking about the exact same thing. The, the verses are absolutely parallel, ending with giving thanks, thanksgiving and giving thanks, and Ephesians 5 always giving thanks. Letting the gospel dwell in you richly is the same as walking in the Spirit. We waltz to live out the gospel. We waltz to be filled with the Spirit. As we're filled with the Spirit, as the gospel is dwelling in us, we will speak, we will teach and admonish one another. We will speak to one another 
singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving. So as we look at this text, we're going to find three ways we are called to address one another that will build each other up in faith and be used by God to lead us to mature faith. So let's dig in. First of all, teach one another, emphasizing gospel blessings. Colossians 3.16, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Now the word teaching there has a special nuance. It means to emphasize the positive blessings of the gospel. The positive blessings that are ours through Jesus Christ. To teach one another the positive blessings of all that the finished life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ has accomplished for us. Now, what are those blessings? Well, if you look at verses 1 through 4, Paul says that new life in Christ. We've been raised with Christ supernaturally, spiritually, and our reality is in the heavenly realms. And then he says we've died. We've died to sin's penalty, and we're dying progressively to sin's power, not as a philosophy, but as a reality. Listen, (laughs) the work of Jesus Christ put to death the penalty of sin in your life if you know Jesus. And the current work of Christ from his life, death, burial, and resurrection is putting you more and more to death as far as the flesh and sins concerned and is enabling you more and more to say no to sin. And we're to teach that to one another. We're to remind one another of that. In other words, we're to teach one another the blessings of union with Christ. When you put your trust in Christ, when I put my trust in Christ, we were mysteriously united to Christ, symbolized by baptism. The reality is the Spirit baptizes us into the work of Christ. And Christ is in us, and we are in Christ. What does it mean to be in Christ? Well, Paul even talks about in verse 12. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Three gospel benefits of union with Christ. We've been chosen. We, we, we uh, sang that song. We, we are chosen. We're not rejected. We're not forsaken. The whole idea of being chosen by God is that while you and I were rebels... While we were disobedient and filled with unbelief, God chose to set his affection on us. So when we come to know Christ and we struggle with lack of assurance, when we become insecure in Christ, we are to teach one another the gospel blessings of being in Christ. If God loved us when we hated him, then how much more can we rest secure knowing that through faith in Christ we have been united to Christ. We're chosen. Teach one another the blessing of gospel security. And then Paul goes on to write that we're holy. Now I said what holy means. In in one sense it means set apart. In another sense it means 
ethical purity. But in Christ, we are declared holy. We are to teach one another continually the gospel blessing of being justified. That means we're, we're declared holy in God's sight. I've said this again. I'll say it many, many other times. What does it mean to be justified? It means that God declares me just as if I'd justified, just as if I'd never sinned, and just as if I'd done everything right. Just like Jesus himself never sinned, and just like Jesus himself did everything right. When we're baptized into Christ, into union with Christ, what is true of Jesus is declared to be true of us. I need to hear that every day. Because every day I forget it, and every day it seems too good to be true. And I need the body of Christ, you all, to teach me the gospel blessing of my justification, that I am holy in God's sight because of the work of Christ. But not just chosen, not just holy, he also says we're beloved. Another element of union with Christ, of us being in Christ, is that we're adopted as God's beloved. Jesus is our eternal brother. Jesus is the eternal son. God loves Jesus perfectly and infinitely. But in Christ, we are loved by God the Father and God the Spirit as much as God the Father and God the Spirit love God the Son. As a matter of fact, in John 17, 23, Jesus prays that everyone who knows Christ might know that God loves us just as much as he loves Jesus. That's hard to believe when we're blowing it, isn't it? But God's love isn't based on whether you blow it or whether you get it right. God's love is based on the fact that Jesus got it right. And through faith in Christ, there's never a moment in your life where God doesn't love you as much as he loves Jesus. May I never forget the wonder the wonder of your mercy. And we're to teach one another that wonder. Now, one element of union with Christ that we're to teach one another in the gospel blessings is us in Christ, chosen, holy, beloved. But we're also supposed to teach one another the gospel, gospel blessing of Christ in us. Paul says earlier in Colossians, Christ in us, the hope of glory, the hope of being restored. Christ in us means grace as supernatural, transforming power. We can say no to sin, and we're to call each other to say no to sin. So as you see in this text, in Colossians 3, there's the fruit of the Spirit, in Galatians 5, so Colossians 3 is parallel to Ephesians 5, but Colossians 3 is also parallel to Galatians 5. You know what Galatians 5, 22 and 23 is, right? It's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. All those fruit, most of them anyway, are listed in this text as the fruit of of the power of the gospel at work in our lives. Verse 14, love. 
Verse 16, thanksgiving, which I would say leads to joy. Verse 15, peace. Verse 12, patience. Verse 12, kindness. Verse 12, gentleness. Now here's the kicker. How do we teach one another these gospel blessings of union with Christ, these gospel blessings of the finished work of Christ? The passage in both Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3 are very clear. We teach one another through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You see, when we worship on Sunday mornings, we are not merely addressing God. We're addressing each other. This is why your personal presence in worship is vital. Those of you who are live streaming, I know we're out, out of town at times, we're sick at times, we're infirm at times, but God's will is for every Christian, everyone who knows Jesus, to gather together corporately every week to sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs. There's something supernatural about the congregation singing to one another about the gospel blessings. I even sang differently this morning because I had studied this text all week. As I was singing, I was praying for every one of you. Every word we sang, I said, oh God, make it true for all these people. Every time we came across a gospel blessing, I said, oh God, open people's eyes to be taught the gospel blessings that are theirs in Christ. See, worship isn't, first of all, worship, worship isn't all about you. It's first of all about God. But then secondly, worship is about other people. And so when you're not here, you're not able to teach others gospel blessings through singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing changes lives. Do you believe that? Don't believe me. Believe Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5. In 2005, there was a local church in China that was raided. And this group called the Public Service Bureau came into the church and they took 30 children in a Sunday school room and herded them into a van. The children were clearly frightened. One of the boys from the Sunday school class in the van began to sing to the Lord. And soon all of the other 29 children in the van were singing the same chorus that they'd learned in Sunday school. And they sang the whole way to the jail. Then they were herded into an interrogation room. Can you imagine this? And they were still singing. Then they were told by the Public Service Bureau, you must renounce Christ. You must stop singing. As a matter of fact, just like the teacher would punish their child, you need to write on pieces of paper, I will no longer believe in Jesus. And they kept singing. And when they got the paper and were given the pencil, they wrote down the chorus they were singing. I believe in Jesus today. I will believe in Jesus tomorrow. I will believe in Jesus forever. They were teaching one another the gospel blessings through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and they were filled with joy and courage. 
teach one another, emphasizing gospel blessings. Secondly, admonish one another, emphasizing gospel warnings. Again, Paul says this in Colossians 3.16, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. If teaching emphasizes the the positive gospel blessings, admonishing challenges one another with gospel warnings. Gospel warnings are just as gracious and kind as gospel promises. Okay, we're not getting mean when we talk about admonishment. We're talking about another face to love. And gospel warnings, gospel admonishments are just as kind and just as gracious as gospel blessings and gospel promises. What we're saying here is that grace does have teeth. Sometimes grace has a bite to it. It challenges us. Grace is not all about sitting and soaking in the gospel hot tub, the gospel jacuzzi. There is a time to sit and soak in the blessings of the gospel. But admonishment has to do with getting out of this gospel grace hot tub and seeking with all zeal to put away sin and to put on righteousness. You see, we're to become in life what we are by position. We are already holy in Christ. We are already righteous in Christ. Now we're to admonish one another to become in practice what we already are in position. The latter part of Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5 are clear on the gospel blessings. The earlier part of Colossians 3 that I read, and if you would go to Ephesians 5 and read the early part of that passage, are about the sins of the flesh that we are to put off. And what's interesting is what Paul admonishes us to put off and what we're to admonish one another to put off are two great struggles of our culture today. Immorality and hostility. Look at verse 5. We're to to put off sexual immorality. Now, this is really simple, folks. This This is not rocket science. Sexual immorality is intimate relations with anybody that you are not in a monogamous relationship through marriage between a man and a woman. It it doesn't get any more clear. Any intimacy with somebody, not your spouse, in which you are married husband and wife through all life. Impurity, giving in to unclean or unchaste words or thoughts or actions. Pornography would be a good example here. Evil desires. Well, that would be giving in to what Pride Month is celebrating right now. LGBTQ plus lifestyles. Now again, we're not saying that there aren't people who sincerely struggle with those desires. What Paul says put off are acting on those desires. You see, it's one thing to have desires. That's another thing to embrace them. 
It's one thing to have desires. It's another thing to celebrate them. We all wrestle with various kinds of evil desires. We repent. We waltz. Repent, believe, and fight. But we don't celebrate them. Scripture is very clear that what Pride Month celebrates, we're actually called to put off with all kinds of other of our own sin issues. I'm not picking on anybody here. We need to admonish one another with regard to sexual purity. It's rampant in the church as well as in the world. Our young people are confused in the church as much as they are in the world. Paul goes on to say in verse 6, it's because of these things that the wrath of God is coming. See, we need to admonish one another that grace is not license. We need to admonish one another that grace means the capacity to live an obedient life. And when we see each other giving in to sin, we are to warn one another in love. So Paul says, admonish one another with warnings about immorality. But then he says also, admonish and warn one another about about hostility. We live in a hostile culture. Listen, we live in an era when even Christians are hostile toward one another. And so Paul says very clearly in verse 8, put away anger. Seems like people are angry at everything in our culture and even in the church. Put away wrath, explosive outbursts of rage. How often do we see that in our culture or hear talking heads yelling at each other on the television? We're to put off malice. What's malice? It's being a bully at any age. There's no excuse. Christians, stop it. Admonish one another about bullying other people, even if you think you're right. There's no room for that in the church of Jesus Christ. Slander, defaming talk, insulting verbiage. There's no place, even where we're right and we're talking to the world, let alone we're talking to each other as Christians, there is no place to insult one another. There is no place to defame each other. There is no place for gossip in the church. And it is probably the most tolerated sin there is. And Paul says, admonish one another about this. And so, that's what I'm trying to do today. If we're filled with the Spirit, if the message of the gospel is dwelling deeply within us, you need to repent. Don't, you don't need to feel shame. You don't need to feel rejected. Your, your position secure in Christ. But you do need to waltz. You need to repent. You need to call it sin. You need to believe the gospel, that God's love hasn't changed. And you need to trust the power of the gospel to change you at this place of anger, malice, or slander. And then, yes, we are to fight to put off anger. I talked to someone in our life group. We had a life group dinner the other night. And she and her husband had just gotten back from Ireland, and they were talking to some locals. And you know what she was asked once the locals knew they were Americans? Here's what she was asked. 
why are you Americans so angry? You know it's true. Everybody here knows it's true. Why are we so angry? Well, the biblical reason is because we're giving into the flesh and we're forgetting to admonish one another when it comes to purity, immorality, and hostility. And then again, notice, how are we primarily supposed to do this? By singing to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. No, it does say in your hearts to God. So literally there are songs of admonishment. And then with the song of the gospel, the song of the Spirit, coursing through our hearts, we are to speak words of positive affirmation and teaching of gospel blessings. And we are to admonish in the gospel as well. You think of praise songs, scripture songs, things we sing, things that are on the Christian radio, which are very helpful to do, by the way. Listen to lyrics and music on Christian radio. There's so much on praise. There's so much on worship. There's so much on thanksgiving. There's so much on intimacy. How many Christian worship songs have to do with admonition? Hardly any. Well, that's not happy clappy. We sang one song this morning that was admonition. Create in me a clean heart, O God. For I have turned my face from you. And when we're together and we sing that, God promises the Spirit of God is at work in a unique way. So if we stay away from worship... We are hindering other people from growing in Christ. Hebrews 3, 12, and 13. Take care lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Exhort and admonish one another every day that none may be deceived or hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews chapter 10. Consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. How? By not neglecting meeting together. So we're actually to admonish each other to be present. We're to admonish each other when we're not present. And we're to sing admonishment to one another. Because grace has teeth. It's not just a warm cup of milk. And then thirdly and finally, not only do we teach one another gospel blessings, admonish one another with gospel warnings. We're to address one another with gospel thanksgivings. Both Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5 talk about singing with thanksgiving and singing with thanksgiving in our hearts. A thankful heart leads to obedience and graciousness. If people aren't gracious they're probably not very thankful. And we not only give thanks to God for Christ, we give thanks to God for one another. It's really hard to stay angry at somebody that you're thanking God for. You're thanking God for somebody. Look, this could transform your marriage. Okay? How much time do you spend thanking God for your spouse? <laughs> it's kind of hard to have a lack of marital reconciliation 
when you're thanking God for your spouse. But it's true of all relationships. You just can't stay hostile when you're thanking God for the person you're feeling hostility toward. That's why we're to sing thanksgiving. And that's why so many praise choruses and and psalms and hymns are filled with thanksgiving. Because being filled with thanksgiving changes our hearts. So we're to address one another with thankfulness in our hearts. Not just on Sunday mornings, but with the song of the gospel in our heart throughout the week. We're, We're to exude a contagious attitude of gratitude. And God says it will change us. Here's what I want to leave you with. God ordains and has created us for music. It has nothing to do with your gift, your preference, or your personality. I I hear it all the time. Well, Bob, I just don't like singing. Think twice before you say that. You were created to sing. I'm going to say it again. You were created. You know what? You know when I didn't like singing? I'm not judging anybody here. But before I was converted. Before I was converted, I didn't like singing in church. And then I was converted. I was like, oh, I actually want to sing. And God has ordained, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving. There's a New York Times article written by a science journalist uh, named Natalie uh, Angier. And the article was about the limited power of human memory. She points out that we have trouble remembering each other's birthdays. But we can remember the lyrics from a Gilligan's Island show in the 1960s. The most popular TV theme song of all time that so many people know and recognize and remember the words to. Anybody know what it is? Friends. Right? I'll be there for you. Why is that? Why do we have a hard time remembering a loved one's birthday, but we remember the words of a TV theme song? Because there's something about putting words to music. Even in a natural, fallen, non-Christian image bearer, there's something about music and the brain that we're wired to remember and to communicate through. Michael Tout. Uh, is, a, is a university professor of music and neuroscience at Colorado State University. And he said, a simple melody with a simple rhythm and repetition is a tremendous aid to memory. It's proven. It's science. I could have told him that without any science. I don't have a PhD in neuroscience. God's Word says that. He said, it would be virtually an impossible task for young children to memorize 26 letters in sequence if you just gave it to them as information. But you put a simple melody to it, the ABC song, and they can memorize it with ease. Why does God tell us 
to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, to address one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs because it helps, the, help us, helps us to learn the message of the gospel with ease. We remember the gospel blessings. We take to heart gospel admonishments. We're filled with an attitude of gratitude and thankfulness. Our hearts melt toward God and toward one another, and we become mature or complete in Christ. May we address one another. Teach and admonish one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs on Sunday mornings and the gospel moving in our heart so that we have fellowship with each other during the week that is life-changing. Let's pray. God, we ask if there's anybody here this morning that doesn't know Christ, uh, that as they hear the gospel, Lord, we, we spent half our time talking about the wonders of the gospel. Lord, open people's eyes and enable them to turn from trusting in their own efforts to the finished work of Christ. Father, where we each need to be admonished, help us to hear. God, if we're dabbling with unrepentant sin right now, would you enable us to waltz? And then, Lord, would you fill us with thanksgiving that our hearts would be soft to you and soft toward each other. Make us thankful for one another. And God, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand here the benediction. Again, the, the pronouncement of gospel blessings. Now, they used to sing it. I'm not going to sing it. But the song's going to be in my heart. And I'm just going to say it. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord turn his countenance upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace, both now and always. Amen.